I'm Chloe Maidley and welcome back to the podcast. On this podcast, I speak to professional athletes, coaches, physique competitors, dietitians, and leaders in the field from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope you enjoyed today's guest. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, review, and leave a comment. Thank you so much, guys. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to series four of the podcast. Episode one is always a very special one for me, and this is probably my most special yet. Today's guest is someone that I've been following for about six years now, but honestly, it feels like decades because I have learned so, so much from her. Lauren Conlon is both a lifestyle and a physique competitor coach. She is an IFBB bikini pro herself. She has a master's in exercise science. She's dabbled in dietetics. She's contributed to studies at USF with Dr. Bill Campbell, who you will have heard on the last series. And she pops up on virtually every health and fitness podcast you can imagine. Uh, Lauren, I'm so thrilled to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. That was an amazing intro. Uh, I It's funny that you say that. So I have a really hard time doing my own intros for our podcast. <laughs> and um, it's, always, it's kind of like a running joke now because we have a team podcast. And then I've also had two other podcasts that I used to like co-host yeah. with. And then I've been on a bunch of podcasts. And I, I was telling it, I was like, I've probably spoken on close to like 400 podcasts. And it's still so hard to intro and outro them. Why? Like, <laughs> I just really like it because it's very like coaching and application based. And that's what we like to do. And like I said, it's our favorite way to get information out there. And we do the other social medias because we kind of have to because I run an <laughs> online business. But outside of that, it is certainly not my forte. No, it's not mine either. It's killer. Like I used, I feel like I used to be really good at it when you didn't have to churn out content every fucking hour of the day. And I feel like oh, like dude, now it's, it's just, just it's it's overwhelming. My co- I've got a coach I run a, a coaching platform as well and my co-coach Emma is so fucking good at it she's just like like dishing it out and it makes me feel subpar because I'm just like oh it's like another job in and of itself and I just don't get <laughs> I know it, it's there's pros and cons to it right you know there's there's a lot of negatives with it but there's also certainly pros because especially if you are working in an online space like to. we are it certainly makes sense to do it so i, I dabble a little in instagram but mostly <laughs> mostly, mostly yeah and and it suits you you're a very 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 good podcaster i mean i know we laugh at you being awkward but you are you <laughs> are great and the conversations that you get into and that's how i found you i found you from somebody else's podcast and then i found redefine healthy and you're very listenable like you're very engaging so I guess let's let's just start I do this with every guest I have on um the first thing I want you to do is just introduce yourself to my audience and just tell everybody kind of some background on who you are and what you do in this very saturated world of health and fitness (laughs) yes so I started coaching actually in 2013 so at that point I had just switched or I was in the process of switching from a dietetics major mid um, undergrad to then going to exercise science degree. And at this point I was training for competitions. I did my first competition in 2011, took some time off and then had started back up in 2013. And I had a coach and then I had a friend who was like, Hey, do you want to coach me, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of how it started. You know, I worked with just a few people, a um, few people in person, a few people online, and then was still in school. And then as I transitioned to the master's program, um, I continued to build it, but obviously was focusing mostly on school and my research. And then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at that point. You know, like I had built up, you know, a part-time coaching gig and um, I was enjoying it. And I was like, well, do I do this? Do I do a 
another type of job? You know, what, what should I be doing? And my advisor, Dr. Bill Campbell, who you've had on the podcast, who's amazing, basically was like, you know, you've only been giving part of your time to this. So why don't you do it full time? And then if you, if you don't like it or you don't want to do it, you can always go back and do something else. So I said, okay, that seems like a good idea. And so pretty much since then, since 2016, I've had it full time. In 2018, I brought on my first coach. And then since then, we've added more people. So we have a total of three other coaches and myself. So it's it's grown into this little community, which I love. And when I first started, it was, um, you know, I was very heavy into competing. At that point, I, had tra- I was still doing figure, transitioned to the bikini division, competed for many years as a bikini pro. Um, and then since then, I've worked with many competitors, both physique athletes to strength athletes and, you know, kind of everywhere in between as well as lifestyle clients. And now that we've been able to broaden with having more coaches, we've been able to bring in a lot of different clients, which has been really, really cool. And our message has definitely changed over over a period of time as well. So now we work with everybody who is, you know, from the very, very beginning stages of really their journey to people who are very advanced to high level athletes, the people who are just starting, you know, so it just kind of depends. And I would say that the main crux of what we do and what has changed over time, and maybe not necessarily changed, but my methods have changed with it, is really teaching clients about the actual sustainability and actual food flexibility and learning how to hit all of these goals while still having a quote-unquote life and still having a good relationship with food, which is actually why we did bring the therapist onto the team because it's been such a shift in what I've looked at as far as a coach is really the whole psychological aspect of it and building the habits because, you know, when you first started and when IFYM first started, it's like, okay, we'll just hit your macros and that's it. And what should your cardio prescription exactly be? But as I started to coach more and more people, and I coach men and women, but I coach mostly women on our team, I started to realize that the biggest issues were not necessarily that. They were the the client's relationship with food, the way that they have yo-yo dieted for most of their life, um, the way that they handle and and um, you know traveling and and food and and like I said, hey, go out to have dinner with your husband or your boyfriend. What that turns into a whole disaster. And I was like, okay, I need to really reframe what I'm just teaching people. Like, sure, macros are great and saying, well, let's just hit it again this week. That's not sufficient. So we've we've really made the biggest shift there. I would say that that's kind of what our focus is now is working with all different types of clients with all different backgrounds. But that is the main crux of what we do. Yeah, and I, I've seen this. So, you know, I've been following Lauren, like I say, forever. And it's interesting as well. And we're going to get into all of this. Like every single one of my questions, I'm going to start with your kind of competing and then and your experience and transition all the way into lifestyle and then even even a smidge of science as well but I I have noticed that your message kind of you came away from competing in 2018 and your message you started to definitely be be kind of a lot more pensive and thoughtful about our overall generally female body image and approach to food and this kind of lack of sustainability and this kind of I guess like self-torture that I think a lot of women in the western world can relate to with their bodies and approach to diet and I just started seeing your content your messaging just get deeper and deeper and actually I think people might hear that and be like oh that sounds like it would be hard it was actually easier I think in terms of implementation for clients and as a coach I see it too I see you you have the optimal approach and I would say 99.9% of people can't do that and and so then you're like okay so now where do we go yeah and and the the optimal word is great right we often hear optimal in especially in the scientific community and 
you know, what is the best approach? Okay, well, is the most optimal approach, right? What is the most precise, the most accurate, the most repeatable? Like, those are the things, like, that's how science has to be run. You can't just be like, oh, well, like, kind of do it like 70%, and then we'll run the study on this. No, no, it has to be 100%. So once you find something, okay, well, this was, this was better than this, like, higher was better than lower or vice versa. All right, well, this is definitely the optimal range. And there are certainly still principles that we operate off of as far as like what is optimal, right? Um, but there's so much nuance between there. And it really depends on where the client is coming from. And I think what happened was, you know, I competed for so many years. I had an eating disorder growing up, like most people who have competed. I've had many ups and downs with my relationship with food and myself and all these things. And I really got to a more... I guess a philosophical place with how I looked at all of this, right? <laughs> I can't really think of a better way to think about it, but it was like, okay, why am I doing this? What does this mean for other people? Why are other people doing this, right? And when you peel back those layers, especially with competing, I find that a lot of people are doing it not necessarily for the right reasons. And not always, there's plenty of, of great reasons to compete, but oftentimes people are doing it to either mask something else um, or to kind of avoid something else or the worst one is to, oh, the body that I want. And I started seeing that and people just compete, compete, compete. And listen, I did that. I competed for many, many years. And sometimes that's where the disconnect of, okay, what is the best approach? Like what is the healthiest for you versus, hey, I'm trying to fucking win, <laughs> right? Those, those are yeah. different. And at that point, I was competitive enough to earn a pro card and compete as a pro. So I was going to push myself. And I do that with certain clients too. And I say, hey, Here's the drawbacks if we do this, but here's what you could get. So oftentimes it's not a right or wrong thing. It's just what is going to be working out for you. Um, it's always about like a cost benefit and pros and cons that we have to weigh out. Yep. People. But I started to realize, okay, well, are there people doing this because they don't necessarily like how they look? Yeah, there was a lot of people who were doing that. Or, oh, I'll do this as a bucket list. I want to get in shape for my 40th birthday. No. <laughs> hey, we can do a lot of other really cool things and stop about five pounds away from stage lean and you'll be in a way better spot, right? Because people often don't understand. They see the end product. They see the glamorized version of competing. They, they don't realize what that is doing to most women's bodies. And it's not that it's bad. It's, it's a competitive sport. If you want to be competitive, you got to get stage mm -hmm. lean. But in order to do that, you have to understand the risks also and be prepared to deal with those risks after. Yeah. You have to say, all right, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to get the 10% body fat. But what am I going to do after? What is the time I'm going to be spending after to restore my metabolic rate, to restore my hormones, to restore my relationship with food? Are you going to do that or are you just going to binge eat for three months and then diet again? The thing is, is that I think people, women especially, and, and, and now especially thanks to the birth of, of social media and Instagram specifically, they do see that end product and they're like, I want to do that and I want it so much that I reckon I could, I can. And, and, but it's like your people forget that physique sport, being a physique athlete and then being an actual athlete. My husband is a, an ex England uh, rugby player. He had to retire at, at 32 years old. He has arthritis pretty much everywhere. Watching him get up and go to the loo in the morning is <laughs> an event. And I think people look at that and they're like, oh my God, you know, you're so lucky you did that. And it's like, no, he gave up his body. He's a 33 year old man who had, and it's the same thing with physique competitors. And weirdly people don't see that trade-off. It's like, there is a huge trade-off here. Like that did not come for free. And I mean, it, it really nicely ble bleeds me onto my second question for you. 
I, and I've I've prefaced this by saying I couldn't figure out what I wanted to talk to you about because you know so much and you've done so much in terms of this industry. There's not anything that we can't really even just do a whole episode on one topic. And I, I, I literally have struggled for days. And so in the end, I just decided I, I'll, I'll start where I found you, which is when you were competing in 2015, 2016. Um, can you talk about your personal experiences with competing, the good, the bad, the ugly, all the way through to your very last season in 20? 18. Yeah. So I turned pro at the end of 2014. I had been competing pretty much for two years, almost straight at that point. But like I said, sometimes there's a trade-off of what is best for the athlete versus what is best for the body, right? And I said, all right, I'm getting pretty close and I need to continue this momentum and I need to keep pushing. And obviously it paid off. So I ended up earning my pro cards um, in the IFBB. And then in 2015, I, I should have taken off, I didn't, <laughs> and I decided, oh, I'm going to do this show, and this was my number one mistake that I learned. Boxing yourself into a show early on is the worst idea possible. So I said, I'm going to do the Tampa Pro because I live in Tampa, and that'll be a really cool pro <laughs> debut. And guess what? I said that. I told everybody. I was not ready. I was not ready at all. And I decided to do it. And now, was it an absolute embarrassment? Of course not. But it was not my best by any stretch of the imagination. And I was like, whoa, this is a little embarrassing. Uh, Let's never do that again. So that was a huge lesson that I learned for myself and for clients. Um, You can have a tentative idea of what you want to do. And this is especially important for people who are doing the pro qualifying shows. You know, there's only so many of those a year. So you kind of do have to have a target. But there's a whole different discussion. So anyways... (laughs) started that season and then again kind of same thing 2016 kept going so pretty much just compete 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 and um I then had a we would call an injury it was never it's not like oh I broke my leg or my femur or whatever right like it wasn't like that it was just kind of like oh this little thing is off and it kind of persisted for like four years it was just like a like a like a little muscle tear strain type of deal in my hip area which is again very common because you know, you're training, obviously, glutes a lot or just lower body. You're posing a lot. There's just a lot of stress on that area. Um, so it never really recovered, right? And then by 2017, I, it was to the point where, like, I could barely sleep. I couldn't train. Like, it was it was really bad. So I, I was forced to take the year off. I did all the right things in the offseason that time because I was forced to take time off. Um, and then 2018 actually was probably my best season. Um, you know, I got my leanest slash fullest, which is not very – full but for me and um you know I did five shows and I I prepped for nine months it was it was a lot it was like that this was it right and I would say to to be really honest that was kind of my peak and I stepped away from that season thinking you know what like maybe I'll compete again early next year and all this stuff and then a few weeks in I was like I don't know I just want to go back to some semblance of normal and at this point it's now it's now the end of 2018 I've just done a nine-month prep and I had been competing since 2011. I've been dieting for almost my life. I was like, I just kind of want to just see what happens. So I, I didn't put a name on it. I didn't put a date on it. I, I didn't really do anything besides just eat and train when I wanted to. And then the months kind of went on and I was like, I, I don't really want to compete. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like I'm not naturally a super lean person. I have to lose 30 pounds to get on stage. <laughs> and and it's not a matter of, oh, I'm a, I'm a slob in the off season. It's just a matter of like, that's where my body sits, right? Like it just, it sits either a little bit heavier or I have to get very, very lean in order to look. Yeah. So I said, okay, if I want to be competitive again, because now at this point I've done 20 something shows, I, I'm not just doing this to like 
you know, get the free t-shirt. Like I want to do this to be competitive, right? Because it's a competitive sport and I'm not just putting my body in, into this for, for no reason. And that doesn't mean that I'm doing this to win. I could, I could get last place, but the idea of me being competitive is I need to be better than my last show. Yeah. And the amount of effort that I, to put into that and the amount of growth necessary, I just said, you know what? I really just don't want to do that right now. And I'd rather focus on my business. Um, and in that time, I've now added a team of people, which is very different than just managing myself as a business yeah. owner. I'm now managing, you know, like the whole team. And it's just very different. And I started jujitsu and I've really been enjoying that. I'm like, you know what? If I want to compete again, I will. But at this point, the again, everything's about a cost benefit. Yeah. Right? Like, how much is this going to cost to me to how much of this is a benefit? And for a long time, I felt like I had to compete for the business. I really felt like that. And because... You know, when you start out one way, like you said, you started following me as a competitor. And I'm sure a lot of people did and have. And a lot of people like supporting those types of goals because they're so extreme and so intense. So it would certainly help the business to some degree. There's obviously like a period of time where it doesn't help because you can barely function. <laughs> but you know you know what I mean? Like that whole kind of journey. Um, and I really felt like, oh, if I want to keep relevant here, I have to do that. And then I was like, you know what? No, th this isn't sitting well with me. And if I don't want to do something, I don't want to put that that effort into it not that I don't want to put the effort it's just like I just don't want to, that's not my yeah. goal right now so that's kind of where I'm at with it mm -hmm. and a lot of people ask oh are you I'm like I'm not, it's a little dramatic I'm not <laughs> retired I'm just not competing right now yeah. you know like if I decide to anybody who's competed for long enough or anybody who's really reflective on these types of things as you should be if you are doing something so intense like a you know bodybuilding competition you really need to think about okay do I want to do this even on the worst of the worst days not just like on a day where I'm relaxing and, you know, I'm just kind of like kicking back and it's an easy day. Like, you know what, you know, it'd, be cool, it'd be cool if I had abs again and I was on stage. That sounds really great. What about the days that are really, really, really bad? Do you want to do that again? And this goes for any goal or any habit that you're trying to build. Don't plan these things on the easy, good days. Like when you're feeling good, we have all these crazy plans. All the, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. I'm going to listen to the birds chirp and do my fucking meditate. Like, no, no, no. What's on a regular day that you're going to be able to do? Not on a day where you're not busy and you have no stress. Not when you're on vacation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what are you actually going to be able to do? And so I really want people to think about that if they're thinking about competing again or just in general. Okay, am I willing to go into this and understand the risks that are involved and understand that I'm doing this for the right reasons and understand what I have to do afterwards, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Most people are fine with doing the prep. They're not fine with what they have to do. Well, afterwards. yeah, and we're, we're going to cover that as well. But I, I love that. So I, I've never been on stage. So, you know, that's that's a whole shit show in and of itself that <laughs> I can't relate to. But I did do a lot of fitness modeling kind of month after month, year after year for, I mean, the best part of maybe eight years. And that constant pressure of feeling like I'd built an audience because I looked a certain way. And that the second that I stopped looking like that, my audience were all gonna fall by the wayside. And even like competitors who are, and we'll talk about this as well, genetically, uh, you know, my competitors in, in my industry who are genetically kind of long, lean, you know, women with abs. All the, and I, and the, the feeling of like, so much of my self-worth was all wrapped up in this. And it was hilarious to me. Now I look back on it because I haven't been that lean in a long time. And I look back on it and I, I still train like pretty much four days a week. And I'm, I'm still kind of pretty good with my diet. And I, I, know, I, I know my shit. Like I'm pretty good at my job. And I'm like, how funny that I thought if I didn't have abs, all of that would disappear. And I think a lot of women can relate to that like the, the the kind of there's so much of their identity being in even just dieting and like having to get in shape for something mm -hmm. 
Okay, so look, let's let's talk about, you know, you coach loads of competitors and you also have loads of lifestyle clients. What are some of the really kind of common reoccurring struggles that you find up um, in a dieting phase, whether it's a prep or just a diet, either mentally or physically, that you're kind of really seeing kind of penetrate our kind of female approach to food and our bodies? And, and how do you work on knowing that a client has a goal, whether it's a physique goal or even just a health goal, and trying to kind of manage this as you go? So there's a few things. First, I would say that the number one thing that I see, doesn't matter if it's a lifestyle client, if it's a prep client, everybody thinks that uh, dieting is going to set up all these really great habits mm-hmm. for them. And they think that, oh, I'm very uncomfortable. I need a diet, right? Like dieting is always like the go-to response. And what we always have to try to peel people back and say, is, no, 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 we need to set you up in a place before you can even enter a deficit. Now, this doesn't mean, mean we need to spend three years outside of a dieting phase. Like, you know, we, it might only be a few months, but if you don't have the right habits built up during in a non-dieting period, everything's going to fall apart when you diet. It, it's just, it just is. And that's when we see people who think, oh, I'm, I'm ready to diet. And then what happens? Their adherence goes to the wayside. They might overeat one day, then they're going to restrict, then they're going to do some extra cardio, and then they kind of go through this cycle, and they never make any forward progress because they didn't lay down the habits beforehand. And that is what is so important and what we've actually shifted a lot of our focus. And now, it is like a much harder sell to tell somebody like who has this goal, hey, I'm coming to you, um, you know, I want to lose 15 pounds, finally, not like, you know, lose 15 pounds and gain it back, like actually lose this, get down to this weight, or I have this health goal, or I want to step on stage or whatever. Okay, so we need about three months beforehand. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. we need this beforehand. (laughs) And then we can do this. Because if you can't manage your relationship with food, if you can't go out to eat without overeating or undereating, if you can't eyeball some type of portion, you don't have any food flexibility, you can't manage, you're not dieting. You're you're not. Because guess what happens? Everything is very hard. We get this very crazy tunnel tunnel vision when we're dieting. um, And everything just becomes a lot more chaotic. So we need to set all that up first. And again, I I understand that people say, oh, I just want to start this really hard goal. And I'm going to stick with it this time. And there are certainly people who can do that. And I, I appreciate when somebody is in a really bad place and then they pick something hard to do and it gets them out of that bad place. And that certainly can happen. But I would say that time and time again, it generally backfires on people. The research also supports this, um, but I've also seen this with my own clients. So I think that as a coach, what you have to do is basically figure out, all right, this person has this goal. I need to figure out how to effectively get them there. And you can't just say, just trust me, we'll get there at some point. No, that doesn't work either. That that just doesn't mentally work out for yeah. people. So you need to say, all right, hey, I don't have a perfect timeline for you, but how about we give this three months we're going to do X, Y, Z, and then we can start your deficit. And when you have some type of a, a plan, yeah. even if it's not perfect, it might be two months, it might be four months, it might be five, who knows? You're being honest with the client and they're saying, all right, this person actually might care about me. Instead of just, if you came to me and I said, yeah, I can get you shredded in 12 weeks. <laughs> that that means nothing. How many times have clients gone through that? So I would say that that's the number one thing that is plaguing our industry as a whole. And it doesn't matter what your skill level is or what goal that you have. Everybody says, I can get you here in this amount of weeks, but they don't take any consideration as to what to do before or what to do afterwards. And then you end up in a worse spot over time because every time you engage in one of those, I'm going to lose 15 pound diets in 12 weeks or whatever it is, then you're likely going to gain 17 and then 20. And then you're in a worse place off metabolically and hormonally. And then your relationship with food is even worse. And then it just continues to compound. So it's one of these things that, 
honestly, like I said, a lot of our clients have shifted in this direction because it's so many people and it, it affects every skill level, every goal. Everybody is affected the same way by this. I mean, I suppose it's why they they tell uh, addicts not to go into a relationship for a period of time <laughs> when they come away from whatever substance it is that they've been uh, abusing. And it, it's because it is fair to say that you can have a driving force drive you out of a bad place, but then what happens when that falls apart? You are back at ground zero and the cycle begins. I think that, you know, you've, you've obviously been a fantastic coach for a long time, but it is amazing how much with, you know, time passing and experience, you learn to change your methods. And and I, I think when I read some of your coaching posts now, I take so much from it in terms of actual application for the client, which is fantastic. So, okay, let's talk about, because you touched on it already, but I know that you really struggled with this and I kind of followed you through this and I was just so impressed with your honesty because I think a lot of competitors now they all talk about it but you were one of the first talk to me about the the post-show rebound the mental and physical ramifications of dieting for that long and or just after getting that lean how does that affect most and I love that you do this (laughs) because I'm really really kind of scared to to get this wrong as well most not all females bodies um and mentalities after dieting that long and getting that lean Yes. So of course, everybody's going to be different. I always try to preface it that way. You know, there's certainly people who, you know, we hear a really common thing. Oh, just stay 10 pounds above stage weight. (laughs) That doesn't work for about 95% of people, but there's always those people that that works magically for, right? So I can't say it's it's nobody because there are certainly people, but I have clients who are 4'11 and other clients who are six foot. We're really going to tell them both. (laughs) That's really not appropriate. So in any case, I would say that, yes, I've always been pretty open. And, And the reason that it's it's hard to talk about is because it's embarrassing. It, it's honestly embarrassing, right? You, you go through all these months of, of dieting and being hardcore and being on point and, and losing body fat and showcasing this to people. Hey, look, this is me on stage. Look at what I did. Here are my methods. I'm a coach. Follow me. I know what I'm doing. And then you're like, oh, I'm eating these things and I've gained a bunch of weight. It's, it, it, people don't want to share that, right? And it's understandable. And I never try to share things as far as like, like a sympathy thing, which is why I, I always, I'm always hesitant to share things of that nature, right? To be, because you don't want to be seen as like the person who's just trying to be vulnerable for the sake of life. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be that person either. So it's like this fine balancing act of like being honest, but also not being too, hey, look at me and the, how sad this is kind of place. So I would say You always say end it with that... a joke. That's what I've noticed you do. You end it with a joke and a smiley emoji. And I'm like, she doesn't want people to feel sorry for her. <laughs> No, I don't. I'm just sharing. You know what I mean? It's, even now, I'll be like, you know, I'm not as lean as I could be. But like, you look great. I'm like, I didn't say I don't look great. That's not what the yeah, point yeah. is. Like, this is this is not what the point. <laughs> Anyways, so when you are getting stage lean, and again, most people, not everybody, but most women getting stage lean is not somewhere that they can live. It is not a healthy place for them, hormonally, particularly. Even if this is being regulated, of course, if somebody is on HRT, that's going to be a little bit different. If somebody is, you know, on birth control, clearly their cycle is regulated in a very different way. But if you are not, that's going to be a whole thing, right? You need to make sure that you're getting your cycle back. And not even just for that, like everything is, even if you, clients still do maintain their cycle, even if they're really lean, some people do. Your other hormones are still tanked, your thyroid is, I mean, everything else is dysregulated, right? So it's just not a great place to be as far as hormonally. And then also, of course, you know, Everything is magnified when you're very lean. I mean, even though you said you've never competed before, when you were doing the shoots, I'm sure you were obviously very lean hell. too. I was in hell. Yeah, everything is magnified, right? And every every day feels like eternity, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, do you really want to be this person who is just like doing an hour or two of cardio every day to like maintain what you look like? Like if you want to do that, that's also fine. But if you 
if you don't want to do that, you have to figure out a way to get out of that. And I would say that really psychologically, the the hardest thing about post-competition, not just, okay, hormones are dysregulated, metabolism is dysregulated, you're fucking starving, all of that, got it. The mental side is so unique to physique sports versus other sports because, first of all, you've just gotten on stage and you've been judged by strangers based on what you look like and placed accordingly. If you don't have a strong sense of yourself as an individual, that can literally break people. And I've seen people who become addicted to competing because they are now, oh, well, I just need to get a better place. I need to get a better, what, what can I do to get a better place? And they're not doing it out of a competitive nature. They're doing it out of like, this really sad place, unfortunately. And and even if you do have a strong sense of yourself, like who wouldn't think that, right? Like, okay, yeah. I'm being like, that's just the nature of the sports. You have to be yeah. very, very strong mentally. So if you continue to diet, that kind of gets degraded a little bit over time, especially if you're doing this on your own. If you have a coach who's a little bit more rational, obviously, like they can be your eyes and be like, hey, here's what we need to work on. Here's what's good. Here's what's not. That can help, especially if people are doing this on their own. They're just like, oh gosh, more is better. More is better. More, show, more shows must be better. That must be better. So first, you've already gone through this really weird kind of psychological thing, but now it's also over. And you've had all these things where you couldn't have them before or couldn't, you know, or yeah. right. I, okay, you can eat whatever you want, kind of, right? You can't really eat whatever you want when you're dieting. So I, I understand people are saying that, but let's be realistic. If you're getting really lean, doesn't matter what type of diet you follow, it's going to be restrictive, right? Yeah, you're so not you... going to waste 400 calories on a brownie. Do you know what I mean? You're no. not going to do that. No, because <laughs> then you're eating egg whites for the rest of the day. So that's exactly not a good plan. So... <laughs> You're going to be restricted with your diet and you're, of course, that's obviously more restriction is always going to lead to more desire to eat the foods that you can't have, coupled with this insatiable hunger because not only have you been dieting, but your fat cells are very small, they're actually shrunken, and you have basically no leptin in your, in your body because that's tied to body fat stores. So there's all these things, so you have this crazy hunger and then now you have this like post-show like crash because you had this huge high with the show and then now it's over so you're like all right i'm plummeted i have like <laughs> the dopamine crash is so hard <laughs> and then you're like well it's over and nobody's gonna see me in my bikini for another few months so why do i eat all this like it just it's this whole really weird phenomenon and yeah. it's like this psychological and physiological like perfect storm to overeat and it happens so frequently so ways to avoid this right I, i'm not gonna say it's a perfect plan. There's always going to be times and there's always people who struggle a little bit more with this. If you can be ready early for a show and reverse into a show, which basically means you're bringing up food into the show, that is the best. When I, when I have clients who can do that, they handle post-show so much better. Now, that is not a case for everybody. Sometimes we, we're dieting right up into the show. Like that's just the way that it works. But if you can, that seems to help a lot because now you're already eating, you're already a little bit more stable with your calories. Now, the low body fat is what is actually driving these adaptations. It's not the amount of, you could be eating 4,000 calories, but you're 10% body fat, you're still going to be hungry and have an yeah. insatiable desire to eat. But it can help a little bit. So reversing into the show seems to kind of take that edge off at least right away. Yeah. That's number one. Number two is setting up the habits before you diet in order to not just end the show and be like a total basket case, right? Because if you know, you're, you're going to be if you have everything in a really, really awesome place, it's going to kind of dwindle down over prep. But if you're starting at like 100, and we get to like 70. Okay, if we start at like 50, and we go to 10, that's way worse, right? Yeah, 
So trying to set up those habits beforehand to where your relationship with food is super solid, you're eating a good amount, you have a lot of diet flexibility, and overall, like, you're excited to prep. And if you get through that prep, things are going to be strained. You're going to be a little food focused. Like, that's the way that it works. But you're going to come out of it much better. And then the other thing, too, is immediately afterwards, and this is what I used to not do. I used to think, I'm going to be super hardcore because, again, we have all these fantasies yeah. that we're going to be, like, just as diligent after the show, which, which we're not. <laughs> so instead of saying, I'm going to add 10 carbs this week, the first month after a show, if somebody's done competing, not doing another show, if they're done with their season, we're adding a lot of food right off the bat. Now, not again, not going from like 1200 calories to 5000, but you know, we're, we're adding a substantial amount of food so that that person actually again feels, okay, I'm actually eating. I'm feeling more satiated because the, what we're trying to avoid most is the overeating episodes because that yeah. tends to really throw people's bodies off. And you'd be incredibly surprised at how quickly fat sticks on when yeah. you overeat in that period of time. So if we can minimize those times, that's that's what we're trying to do. So um, obviously be in a good position beforehand. Yeah. If you can, reverse into the show. But then afterwards, get calories up those first few weeks a lot faster and you're going to be in a much better spot. I just absolutely love everything that you said and, and in the right context. To, to I know a lot of my clients listen as well, for lifestyle clients as well, good mm -hmm. applications in terms of coming out of a diet. And yeah, it's actually, the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing, just it's less extreme less. versions all across the board, like psychologically, behaviorally. But it, yes. so this is actually, it bleeds me really nicely into my, my last question. I feel like, just correct me here, because this is what I'm going to say is presumptuous, and I want you to tell me how, how you recommend people do it, both lifestyle and physique. I feel like you're talking more about that kind of like recovery diet that like, mm -hmm. I think it was 3DMJ that who yeah. was first there, like basically giving clients, whether it's lifestyle or competitors, but more more importantly, competitors, they get so lean, um, a lot, a lot of calories quickly. And it, like mm -hmm. you said, not like, you know, crazy crazy calories but a lot a lot as many calories as possible quickly to get their body fat back up to a healthy range and allow them that kind of psychological freedom within the parameters still of numbers so they feel like they they're still in control um mm -hmm. so i'm saying are you more of a fan of the recovery diet than the reverse diet and if so why yes for that exact reason so like i said everything is body fat mediated so if somebody has dieted a lifestyle diet and they've gotten to a place where they're comfortably lean um but they they don't really have any issues you know they're they're not they haven't had any cycle changes they have a great relationship with food like sure they're hungry they've dieted um but they're pretty good and we can roughly maintain here i say roughly because every you know everybody's gonna plus or minus a little bit every few weeks so if we're in a position to where somebody's actually say again say a lifestyle client they arbitrary numbers here but say they weigh 160 pounds and their end goal, again, arbitrary, they want to maintain a physique that's leaner and maybe have a little bit more muscle at around 145. Long-term goal. If we can do cycles of a non-dieting period coupled with the dieting period and we can get down to that place, we don't need to say, hey, once we got down to this 145, which is your goal, we don't need to say, let's add all these calories to blow you back up. Like, no, 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 we can stay here. Like, this is the end goal, right? Yeah. So if we can, we don't need to boost things as fast for that person because we're trying to maintain down here now. But yeah. for the client who is competing and they're getting down to essential levels of body fat, no, 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 we need to get back out of here, right? Like yeah. that, that, is, that is not a healthy thing. So the first goal for a lifestyle client is getting down to a healthy, manageable body fat level. Very different than a physique competitor. So we can't even compare the two things. Of course, yeah. they're similar, but we can't even say what do we like to do one way or the other. So typically what we'll do, though, for people who are lifestyle clients who are listening or, or coaches who are coaching lifestyle clients 
I would recommend, again, doing these kind of cycles. So let's say, again, it's, it's 160 to 145. We might not get there for three or four cycles, but yeah. the whole goal is that eventually we actually get down to 145 and they can easily maintain it. And yeah. of course, you could go to 160 to 145, but that's really not that hard. But can we maintain that or are we just going to go right back up to 160 or worse, 165? So yeah. for that person, it's going to be doing those cycles and we don't really need to to air quotes, recover from it because we've done it slowly enough and they've actually been able to maintain all of their health parameters that way. For the physique competitor, that is never going to be the case. If you are truly stage lean, you can never stay there. Even if you're one of these people who is naturally very lean, you're still going to gain weight. That's just the way that it works. So I would certainly say that I'm more of a fan of a more recovery diet approach versus the reverse diet approach. It's all nomenclature, same idea, but the idea of the recovery diet is adding food more quickly. And what I found was, again, the number one thing that I needed to do for clients was stop the overeating episode. Yeah. So if we were able to get food up, which was going to add healthy weight back a little bit quicker, and I was nervous to do this at first, but I'm very big on the untracked meals, the untracked days. Um, I started doing that a lot faster with people because I said, you know what? When is the time where most people are going to be having these social events, right? You've been dieting for six, seven, nine, whatever many months, right, for your prep. All of your friends, your family, your significant, all everybody wants to take you out. So if we just bake that into the week, hey, here's our new calories, and then once a week I want you to go have dinner and drinks or whatever with your friends or your family, think about how much better they're going to be on track versus if I said, hey, no, no, we're going to add 15 carbs this week, and you know what? If you go out to dinner with those people, just have tea. Like, no. (laughs) And guess what? That's not a suitable response, and Uh that's not going to be beneficial for the person. So... Because they're probably going to go do that anyway, right? And it's not them yeah. falling off plan. It's That's what a normal human would want to do. And it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're a bad competitor. It means like, you know what? I fucking prepped for this for nine months and I want to go have you know dinner at a restaurant. But what it, what it eliminates is, okay, I'm going to have dinner and drinks and then I'm going to raid the pantry. And then the next day I'm going to go continue to eat. And then Monday I'm not going to eat at all. Yeah. That is what we're trying to avoid by saying, hey, we're going to have one dinner out that's controlled and moderate. You enjoyed it. You moved on Sunday, back on track. It's so much better for clients when you do that. I completely agree. And I think this is where actually having just the psychology of a coach-client relationship is super beneficial because I think a lot of the time people need that permission from somebody who they who who basically they're trusting their body with to say that's okay. So Lauren and I talked, guys, before we started recording about <laughs> the lockdown kind of slowly being lifted here and how crap it is. Everyone's freezing cold and we have to sit outside. But we've had the odd sunny day, which is rare for us. Um, and on the odd sunny day, shock horror, all my clients are checking in with me at the end of the week. Like, um, so listen, on Saturday I was in the pub garden all day and I maybe drank a bottle of Prosecco and, and like, you know, had, yes. a, you know, had a day. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, I'm really sorry. Should I bank back some calories now? And I'm like, no, we've been in lockdown for the best part of a year. You went out with your friends who you haven't seen for a year and you drank some champagne. Well, sorry, Prosecco, Italians. You drank some Prosecco and you ate a brownie. Like, this is real life. Like, this is good. And again, like, my clients are lifestyle clients. I don't need to be like, oh, shit, you're getting on stage in a month. Like, no, like, and, and this is what I love that. And I and I love this approach to it. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Like, both Lauren and I are not saying if you've got a goal of, like, I want to be a healthy BMI so I can start IVF or, like, I want to get on stage. You can't do 
do this all the time. But absolutely, is there going to come a place in time, probably on a weekly basis, where that might happen and you have to allow for it? Absolutely. And this also brings me on to another question that I found really interesting, the ice cap trial recently, which I know that you'll be across. And I think off the back of the Matador study, um, which obviously was done on on kind of obese individuals, mm-hmm. kind of the the benefits that showed in terms of kind of physiologically for them, I assumed that those benefits would be, I mean, magnified on a very lean or kind of bodybuilding resistance trained population. And I was quite surprised to find that actually the benefits weren't really physiological for for that population. They were very much psychological. I wasn't surprised by the latter, but I I was surprised by the former. Mm -hmm. I definitely went through a, a significant period of time where I just kind of presumed, well, if diet breaks did worked wonders physiologically for an obesogenic population, it'll happen times 10 for a lean population did you think that or assume that no because i you know whenever this comes out whenever something new comes out right and it's like oh the science community found a new result we got to do this and it's like i love science and i appreciate science um but i, I try to look at I, I try to appreciate okay what did this say um how can this be used but it certainly isn't something that you can blanket apply to everybody yeah and even just thinking okay so reading through something like this or reading through a a diet break strategy where every few weeks you're doing this i would hate that hate that yeah. so it's like it's not going to work for everybody like anything in that setting is going to have a negligible benefit now for some people that negligible benefit might be what puts them to that next level but for most people it's going to kind of be a wash and it's going to be what would you rather do mm-hmm. and what i've found that works much better for people like i said is having hey go have a dinner you know yeah. and what people don't recognize is when they hear that they think oh well that is again this lazy or that's you don't want to try too hard or you don't want to track no 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 this is not say go out and hammer five baskets of bread <laughs> yeah. and and two <laughs> bottles of wine and three desserts. Like this is a normal meal because yeah. what happens is when you don't do that type of stuff, then when you are provided with that chance to eat something, you go balls out and everybody here who's listening can has been through that themselves. Maybe not everybody. <laughs> I don't like giving generalizations, but most people have probably dealt with that you know what I mean and where instead if you actually learn all right well could I just have this and be very moderate most of my clients I still use for lifestyle clients we're keeping untracked meals in because we've built it up in such a great way that when they're dieting they're like yeah I got a salad like a really like a nice salad and a glass of wine and I had like one scoop of ice cream and it was great yeah that's not overeating that is just normal my friends wanted to go do something or my significant other or my family whatever and it allows for those things to happen and then you don't have this thing you know i have so many clients now who are obviously traveling and going on vacation or whatever it's like oh my gosh every time i used to travel i'd gain 10 pounds and now i can actually go and i i I don't i i come back and i'm the same weight because i know how to eat when i'm out of my little bubble so any time where there's something that is something like a diet break or a refeed or whatever those results are going to be very very negligible just because the amount of time is so short now i think they're still beneficial i use diet breaks with clients certainly not in a this is when we're doing a diet break scenario and i see that that happens with the science community a lot because it's very it's a very black and white community and they're very like all right this is good this remember the optimal thing where we started oh this is optimal i must do it it's like very robotic it's like no no no. sometimes i do a diet break um sometimes i don't do them at all sometimes i do a diet break for six weeks like you know what i mean like it it just depends and i never want to put something on a oh we're gonna do a two to one or a two to two ratio like never once 
have I, whenever I've fallen into that kind of thinking, it always ends terribly. A hundred percent agree. Me and my, um, my, my co-coach Emma as well did a podcast literally on this. And we were talking about this diet breaks generally. And we were saying, first she said, you know, when you do structure them like that, clients, they kind of trip up over their, their diet. They, they trip up, they, everything gets a bit mud- muddled and a bit messy. When it works is when it's like, hey, I'm going on holiday, fine. Yeah. Or like, you know what? Like, obviously we have some clients who, you know, are really trying to get to a healthy weight and they've been dieting for nearly yes. a year. And it's yes. like- and then you're like, okay, and they're like, I, I, I'm really, for the first time, and I don't know why, and I just, I love them for coming to us and saying this, like, for the first time, and nearly a year, I'm struggling. And then it's like, we don't even say, here you go for a week. We say, come up to maintenance, or, you know, predict maintenance with some, like, night, like, meals out, yeah. you know, evenings off for a period of time until you're ready to go again. But I yeah. agree with you. I don't, I don't think that it is helpful, you know, back when, like, carb cycling was all the rage, and I used to do it, and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't helpful for any of my clients back then, and I, I wouldn't be helpful helpful now so yeah I, I i'm in complete agreement with that um lauren we're running out of time if you do just want to speak on anything be it body image dieting anything actually you know in terms of application and and what's optimal anything at all you want to leave my listeners with that you think that it's important that they know or think about okay yeah so i i would kind of piggyback off what i talked about earlier which was building the right habits before you diet and i think a lot of people Um, they hear stuff like that and they think that it sounds really great, but they don't want to take the time to do it. And they hear that and they go, well, I don't really need that. I'm, I'm good. I I can just do this, this prep or this diet or whatever. And, and I would just ask the question, okay, well, has this worked before or where have you struggled before? And oftentimes when we look at our struggles previously, we can learn a lot about them and say, all right, well, this is where I got hung up before. This is where I got tripped up before. This is, let me reverse engineer out of this to figure out how to get through this effectively. Because if we just try to say, all right, I'm going to do this one approach, this is the way, that, but it's not working. That way it's not working. It didn't work the past five times, so why is it going to work the sixth time? We really need to hone in on what didn't work and why, and then apply methods that way. So don't think that this is something that is 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 bad or that makes you weak or that you shouldn't be doing. Like, literally, even if you take a month to work on that. It's going to be really helpful. Um, So that's number one. Um, And then I talk a lot about food flexibility and all these things. And I think some people hear that and then they think, oh, that just means eat whatever you want, right? No, (laughs) that is not what that means either. There has to be a balance of flexibility and restraint at all times. And depending on what your goals are at that time, you're going to need to exercise either a little bit more flexibility or a little bit more restraint. Um, Generally, we're trying to keep those in balance, but sometimes you have to go one way or the other, and that's fine. And I think that there's this new push that diet restriction in any sense is actually a bad thing. And that is 100% wrong. (laughs) Um, 100% wrong. And there are very clear physiological and metabolic and psychological (laughs) effects of being at an unhealthy body composition. And this is not even just body composition driven. This is just sometimes like, you know, you could be at a what looks like a regular weight, but still be an unhealthy person, right? Like there could still be things going on. So I think that this push is is very harmful because the people who are pushing it are all people who have a ton of knowledge in the, the food space. They know what roughly to eat and not eat or, or quantities or portions. A lot of people don't. So if we're just saying, eat whatever you want, love your body, well, that person is going to continue to do what they've been doing for the past 25 years, which has led them to this place now. 
And that is not a good message. And that, honestly, I try to get this message out as much as I can because I think that we need to change that direction. It's not about, hey, you need to diet because you you should because you look a certain way or you should hate yourself because... No, 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 no. No, you, need, you should be doing this for, like you said, improving your body composition, improving your health, improving your, your hormones. We're not talking about getting stage lean for everybody. We're talking about being at a healthy body composition and just yeah. telling people to do whatever they want, whatever feels good is certainly not the right message. That is a huge blow. Like it's always like the pendulum goes one way. Like first it was yeah. clean eating, then it was eat whatever you want and just fit into your macros. And now we're kind of like, eh, maybe do like both. You know, you can track <laughs> macros, yeah. but like also eat healthy food. That's kind of a good idea. Same thing here. Super rigid dieting, be like real thin do, and then just eat whatever you want. And this is totally, no. We need to be somewhere in the middle. There, Everybody has a different body size and a different body shape and different body compositions, and that is totally fine. But the idea that people should just do whatever they want, especially when they are in an unhealthy place, is a really bad message. So get off my soapbox there. <laughs> no, I love that. It's but, so important. I didn't, I don't talk to my American guests about this because I think for a long time this was really just happening in the UK, but now I've started to see you oh, no. guys have caught on to the anti-diet culture being merged with the self-love culture and the messaging basically just being like, you know what? We've been told what to do long enough and we're sick of it. Eat what you want, when you want and love yourself. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Some of those messages are fucking fantastic. And some of them are so, like you said, so, so damaging and so yes. harmful. And the, the the applause that it's getting is quite worrying for people who work in the health and fitness space. Yes. But yes, we, we have talked about that before. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think everything you said was bang on point. Well, awesome. Well, well, oh, the last bit. Where can everybody find you? Your podcasts, your, I mean, everything. So like we talked about in the beginning, uh, we have been putting a lot of effort into our team podcast, which is called the Team Look of Fit Roundtable. So if you search iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, they'll be on there. I can send you those links as well. Um, yep. They're also, all the, the episodes are on our website as well, teamlookoffit.com. So you can find the podcast. You can find, we write articles every single week, um, different resources we have on there as well. And of course, you can apply for coaching there too. And my personal Instagram is at Lauren Conlin, L-A-U-R-I-N. <laughs> and then the team one is just at teamlookoffit. So pretty much if you go to our website, you can find everything on there. Um, but yes, we really do put a lot of our emphasis on the podcast now. And it's been a really fun project so i hope you guys enjoy it yeah and the podcast has gotten better and better so anyway lauren look thank you so much for coming on it has been a bit of a dream come true i've been listening to you for years and i think that you are in terms of females in the health and fitness space um second to none so everybody follow lauren and um thank you so much go and enjoy your day i appreciate it and listen i'd love to come on any other time i love podcasts so yeah if you want me on again or people have questions we can certainly do a follow-up so. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, and to follow wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. If you're new to the podcast, please don't forget to catch up on series one, two, and three to learn even more about all the topics my guests and I cover, from nutrition to fitness, physique results, and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.